0: On James um, and I hope you 've been enjoying it I know I have uh, it 's been such a practical um, series that we 've been looking at and getting into and there 's been a lot in there that 's been uh, kind of seeming a little bit simple things that are simple to understand but hard to put into practice and we 're going to that space again today and so if you missed if you 've missed it I say this every week, but I to keep saying it the um, uh, videos of the services are on uh, YouTube. Uh, if you want to listen to it in the car, you can do that because you can go to the church website and there's the audio just on there. And so uh, I would encourage you that if you've missed services, to get into the habit of throwing them on on your morning commute or when you're out for a run or whatever. Um, and, and I encourage you to do that so that you get a full picture of the book of James. Because for example, last week we, we delved into a really important topic. We went into a space where um, in terms of uh, the foundations of our faith was really important because we were looking at the fact that um, James in at the end of chapter two has this really uh, significant section where he starts talking about the role of works. And he says to us that with um, without works, our faith is dead. And a lot of us can find that a little bit challenging because we've been raised um, to know that we're saved by by faith by, because of God's grace towards us. Um, and we read Paul's writings where he talks a lot about um, uh, it's really about faith in Christ and God's grace, not through anything that you've done, that you're saved. And what we saw is that they're not in conflict. The, the two writers that we read in God's word of Paul is talking about the root of our faith. So where our faith comes from, the foundational um, aspect of how um, as someone who doesn't know Christ, how do I step into knowing Christ? And James is writing to a different audience. He's not talking at that foundational level. James is actually speaking to you and to me and saying to us that once we know Christ, once we've been saved, once we have stepped into relationship with him through faith, that then there should be some evidence of that in our lives. That through the things that we do, the way that we act, our thoughts, our words, that there should be something that's different. And that's what he's talking about. So where Paul was talking about the root of our faith, James is talking about the fruit of our faith. And that's where we were last week. Um, And this week we're stepping into the start of chapter three. So if you want to turn your Bibles, you can go there. We're a few minutes away from being ready. So I want to save that for a moment. But James steps into a really, really important topic in chapter three. He starts talking about the tongue. And we're going to spend our time today uh, reading and thinking and being challenged by what he writes. But it's not actually the first time he's spoken about the tongue. And when we talk about the tongue, we talk about our words. Because you might have noticed that we've already touched on that. Back in week three, when we were um, back in chapter one in verse 26, James said this. He said, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. And then in chapter two, in verse 12, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, says, so whatever you say, or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. So whatever you say or whatever you do, you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. So James has already had a couple of things to say about the tongue. What he said is that if you say that you know God, if You say that that's a part of your life, but your um, tongue is running free. You're running wild with your words that you're actually fooling yourself. And we're going to come to the reason why in a moment. But he also warns them in in, uh, chapter two to say that you are accountable for the things that you say that they are not just spoken and out there and then you're um, moving on and there's no accountability, but there is a degree of a significant degree of accountability for the words that you say. And so James is putting this huge emphasis on it. And it makes sense because he's writing to people that were just like you and I. And by that, I mean, they were uh, probably middle Eastern looking um, and I'm pasty white. So they're not um, quite like uh, me in that sense but they are the same in that they are very much uh, struggling with the, the flesh, struggling with uh, that old life of sin that rears its ugly head and leads us into places where we really shouldn't go. This is not new. James is not, for the first time in Scripture, speaking about the tongue because there are some other places where there's a huge emphasis put on it. And the first one of those... Um, well, one of them, rather, is back in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. Because we know that if there was really a mantra about Proverbs, it would be about that wisdom um, that comes um, through, the, through the things that we say. But in Proverbs 6, it's the only place in all of Scripture where it says what God hates. And out of the six things uh, that it says that God hates, three of them relate directly to the tongue. So three of them relate directly to the tongue. So this is serious. And then we look in Proverbs and there's all these amazing kind of encouragements and challenges. Proverbs 15.4 says, gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16.24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And Proverbs 18.4 says, a person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. And so there's lots. I mean, we could pull out time and time and time again where Scripture has spoken about that in the Old Testament. But there's also this incredible moment in Matthew 15, which we mentioned a few weeks ago, where there's there's been some commotion between the disciples and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were kind of the law keeping Jews um, that were really, really finicky about the law, about people keeping it. And there'd been this commotion and the, and the disciples are speaking with Jesus because um, they've been challenged by the Pharisees who have seen the disciples not adhering to the uh, ritualistic handwashing they had this thing where um, they had to, and it was quite a time consuming practice. They had to wash their hands. And the whole idea was that there was this sense that we were defiled. We were made unclean by what we put in our mouth, because if that food had touched something that was unclean or had been held by someone who was unclean, um, then we would uh, receive that uh, sin or that uncleanliness um, into our bodies. And Jesus um, confronts them uh, and speaks with them and says uh, this, um, Uh, This incredible kind of thing that was very foreign to their thinking in Matthew 15, where Jesus says, listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. So it's not what you put in your mouth, but it's what comes out of your mouth. And they don't seem to be getting it because Jesus comes back to them in, in verse 18, where he says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. That's what makes you unclean. And so remember, and this, we'll come back to this at the end, but remember that this really is the message of James, is that what um, you do and what you say and how you act is actually representative of what is in your heart. So the transformed believer, the person who has received Christ and has their heart has had their heart transformed, acts in a different way. And if you're acting in a particular way, then have you really had your heart transformed? And that's what James is, is challenges. People who know Christ act like they know Christ. And that's a huge challenge. And so we get into chapter three where James drills into this further. And so if you want to, um, you can look at the screens. We're going to go through it um, kind of section by section this morning. And the first part says this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistake, many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, would we, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to pop down that the first point, uh, the first thing that we're going to explore is that the tongue controls your direction. Your tongue controls your direction. James starts by giving this uh, warning, I guess, this caution to those who um, speak and teach in the church that they need to be really careful because they'll be judged by God more strictly. I remember the first time I um, heard that preached, I was probably 12 um, and I remember freaking out. I remember freaking out because um, I was in um, the creche at the time. That was how I was serving in the church. I was um, on the worship team and involved. Um, I was probably 13 or 14 actually, but I was involved in the youth ministry and, and serving in the creche. Um, and really it was lots of colouring in and lots of chicken crimpy shapes um, and I'm pretty sure that's why I put my hand up to serve because it was like one for the child, two for me, one for the child. We worked our way through the box every lesson. I think it was, you know, like two small children and me and another leader. But I remember freaking out because I remember hearing that and, and almost becoming really concerned about um, the, the words that I said and the way that I taught and, and making sure that I was representing God's word faithfully and I was honoring it. Um, And I think I must have missed the next bit, which was, indeed, we all make mistakes. And I remember when I saw that, I just remember thinking, why didn't they speak about that the first time I heard it? Um, Why didn't they continue on? Because um, it would have made me feel a whole lot better that it isn't some impossible standard. But what they reckon, and the biblical scholars, um, having looked into this, perceived that there was probably an issue around um, people speaking in the church. They had a great... um, tradition of sharing testimonies, but um, it's believed that what was happening was that those testimonies were drifting into teaching. So somebody with a real passion would stand up and share a testimony and then just get carried away and start trying to teach doctrine, you know, the core elements of our our faith and start trying to speak that. And those people probably had no business in doing that because they didn't know it themselves. They didn't really know it. And I want to reassure you um, that while that second part um, made me feel a whole lot better, that we do take that really seriously here. Um, if you need further a testimony on this, Cindy can share it with you. And I know James and, and Pastor James and Pastor Greg and Margo are the same, that we spend hours um, exploring um, and examining God's word. We've done our study um, to get us to the point where we are. But then we, we don't just stand up and preach off the cuff. We want to make sure that what we're presenting to you is, is affirming, that the direction that we're presenting to you is challenging, that it is above all things, honoring of God's word, that it is what God's word says. Um, but there is a, uh, an underlying thing that comes after this, because while he puts that sentence in there that applies to a select few, and you might've read that and thought I'm off the hook. You're not because the next two examples, he says this, he gives the example of, I think it's the bridle. I should have checked this beforehand, but the bit of metal that goes into a horse's mouth, Carolyn's giving me the confirmation. Um, this, yeah, the bit. Okay, the bit. The small piece of iron in the mouth of a horse. It gives that example and it says that it's only really tiny in comparison to the horse, but it can control the horse's movement. So it's small. It then gives us an example of the ship who in a strong wind, with a comparatively small rudder, um, that's you know, if you if you had it against the size of the ship, it's it's tiny, yet even within a strong wind, that small rudder controls. Um, under the steering of the pilot that controls the direction of the ship. And this is the point that is being made, isn't it? That while our tongue is comparatively small compared to our body, it is incredibly powerful. But more than that, there's two intentional metaphors that we're given, both of which talk about direction. Both of which talk about direction, the horse and the ship. And what it's saying is that the teachers in the church, absolutely, but all of us, because James follows up to talk about all of us, have to be careful about the way that our tongue is controlling direction. And I wonder if you've experienced that in your own life. I wonder if maybe even where you are now is as the result of the words of someone else. And maybe they are good words. Maybe someone has encouraged you, has spoken, has prophesied into your life, has, has spoken into your life. And that has led you on a particular track. But I would say that for many of us, it's actually negative words. It's things that people have said to us, about us, over us that they've declared. For some of us, it's the words that we actually are declaring over our own life. The wrong things, the, the, the things that we are convinced are true, but don't align with God's word, that we're not good enough, that we uh, don't have um, purpose, that we don't have meaning, that we don't have um, God given gifts and abilities. Um, there are so many things that we declare or are declared to us. And we have to be very, very careful about the words that we're listening to, because many of us are still um, carrying the hurt of words that have been said because they are powerful. And we need, to, we need to deal with that. And I'd say to you this morning as a little aside, that if you are carrying that, then that is something that you need to work with, work through, that you need to speak with someone, that you need to get people around you, that you need um, people who um, are, uh, are going to be speaking God's word into your life, declaring the right and the true things to you. And so I don't want to downplay that because words, James certainly isn't, words are powerful and they're influential. We're at the moment, as you've probably seen, um, up on social media and like and share our video if you see it. Um, But we are advertising for a um, a kids um, leader, kids pastor, kids worker in the life of the church. And that's a really significant role, but it actually doesn't take away from the incredible team of volunteers that we've got. And, you know, when I look at the work that they do with the kids, there was, I think, 33 kids in kids church last week, which is amazing. I mean, that's a real testament to the church and who we are, the fact that we are welcoming and accepting. And I can't wait to see that in five and ten years' time. I can't wait to see what this church looks like when those eight, nine, ten-year-olds are now 18, 19, 20-year-olds serving and, and uh, doing amazing things for God. But while they, pre- they present and they prepare a great program, there's games, there's um, teaching from the Bible, there's activities, do you know the most significant thing that they do out there is actually declare truth over the life of the kids. It's actually the words that they speak. It's actually where they tell them that, they, that God has a plan for them. It's actually where they tell them that God loves them, that he cares about them, that he knows each one of them by name, that they are his child. It's those things that are declared over their lives that are most powerful. And, you know, if, we, if, if, if all of it fell over, if, if the computer didn't work, if the games were a mess, but yet there were people out there declaring those truths over the kids' lives, it would all be worth it still. And so I'd encourage you, if, if, if that's your space, and you haven't yet volunteered, to volunteer. We're always looking for more people. But it is an incredible space where each one of us who knows God and, and has, has been um, learning about Him, has the opportunity to sow directly into the lives of the most significant um, in our church. Um, you're all significant, but they are such a precious group. You see, Scripture's clear on this too. Scripture is really clear. We look back to the Old Testament and there's this pivotal moment in the uh, life of the, um, the Israelites in them as a nation. We know that the Old Testament really just plots their course all the way through. But there's this pivotal moment where they reach the promised land after they've seen God do these miraculous things. He's brought them um, through the, the waters. He's, he's parted the waters for them. He's, he's uh, uh, looked after them, given them what they needed to survive the, um, the desert as they've traveled. And they're here on the edge of the promised land. And, and twelve spies go out to check out the land, and they come back. And we read in Numbers 13 what is said. It says to us in chapter, uh, in verse 30, that Caleb tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses, and he says, "Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it." And what happens? We many of us know the story. The other spies that were in the land came out, and they said, "But we can't. We can't go up against them. They're stronger." Um, And they spread a bad report through their mouths, through their words. They spread a bad report. You see, Caleb had come out and he declared the truth of God or who God was in faith. And the other spies had come out and they let their doubt and their um, worry and their um, fear um, direct their words. And so what happens? What happens? They leave. They are fearful and they spend the next 40 years Wandering in the wilderness. You see, our words control our direction. And this leads us into the next part of the passage where James writes these words. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. It's kind of uh, pretty serious. Um, but what he's put, the point he's making, and this is our second point this morning the tongue has the capacity to destroy everything you have. Your tongue has the capacity to destroy everything you have. We saw eight month, 18 months or so ago, didn't we, um, the example he gives here. I was, at the time, we were living in the deep south um, and looking over to the hills as the fires came over the top. Um, and I, uh, like I think everybody else in Tuggeranong at the time, um, bought um, like three dozen hoses um, and some sprinklers. Um, and we had a sprinkler on our roof for like three months because I forgot to take it down. But um, we, we, we got ready um, and that fire at the end of its blaze had burnt 86,000 hectares uh, through the Namaji National Park. And do you know, we probably, many of us know the story, it came from the landing light on a helicopter. This small... Um, this small spark that came from that landing light blew up into a blaze and there was a number of other ones going at the same time, but we all saw it, didn't we? We all felt the effects of it because the the smoke that came in and just blanketed our city. Um, And James is talking about the tongue in this same way. He's saying that uh, it is a small spark, but it can set a raging fire. And we kind of think maybe he's being a little bit dramatic, but we see it in our own society, don't we? Uh, You've probably seen, particularly with the advent of social media, I have seen uh, plenty of celebrities and and famous people and politicians, lives destroyed because of the things that they've said. This old tweet or this old video of them um, where they haven't been careful with their words, where their words have been wicked. Um, their reputation is destroyed, their livelihood is lost. Um, Many of them, it happens because of the things that they've said. And some of us have seen that um, in our own lives too, haven't we? We maybe are living with regret of the things that we've said. And we need to work through those things. But James goes on and he continues, uh, and there is hope here. I want to say that now because you're all kind of sitting low in your chairs, uh, feeling a bit, oh, you know, maybe we should have stayed home today. But there is, there is hope. Here we go and we get there. It says this, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is, restless, uh, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree Produce olives or a grapevine produce figs. No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And so James goes on to say this clear thing we can't fix the problems of our tongue on our own. You see, he says that the same mouth, the same tongue praises the Lord our Father, and almost in the next breath, It curses those who have been made in God's image. That's the same tongue. I wonder how many times you've come to church, you've sung his praises, you've had a coffee and encouraged and felt encouraged. And on the way home, the conversations very quickly, without even realizing it, turned into um, criticizing Maybe it's criticizing your spouse or or someone else. Maybe it's criticizing the other driver on the road. Maybe it's just thinking into a new space of work tomorrow and and bad-mouthing other people. But what James is saying, and he gives us these comparisons of you don't get this with a fountain. You see, a fountain is either fresh water or a salt water. You can't get it with a fig tree because a fig tree produces figs. It doesn't produce two different types of fruit. But he's making a point here that it happens to us with our tongues. And the reason it happens to us with our tongues is because of our divided heart. You see, the issue is not the tongue. It is controlled, not on its own. It is controlled by us and by what's in our heart. And isn't this the same point that Jesus was making back in Matthew 15? That our heart controls our tongue. And so that's a place of hope. You might not think that it is, but it is a place of hope because it says to us that change is completely possible. But you can't do it on your own. And so I want to encourage you with just as we close this morning with these two challenges for your week. Most sermons, I'll set you a challenge. I hope that you do them. Um, No one's chasing you up, but I'd encourage you to write them down or try to remember them or come back and watch them. But I want to encourage you this week to do an end of day stock take on your words. You might have gone into Kmart or um, if you remember back to your school days, they closed the library for three months while the librarians carefully catalog every book again, make sure none of the kids have flogged them. Um, But the stock taking process is is going back through and examining and making sure things line up where they should line up. And I'd encourage you this week to pick a day and you don't have to pick every day because it might be, a little bit discouraging, but pick a day and do an end of day stock take on your words. Actually go back and examine your conversations, examine the times and the opportunities that you talk to build people up and encourage them, but also examine the times where maybe you spoke criticism or you spoke negativity or you engaged in, in gossip. Think about the times where you spoke God's truth over someone that you declared goodness into their life. And think about the times perhaps where you didn't do that and ask yourself, what direction am I setting with my words? And when you do that, I want you to think about not just the words that you speak to others, but the words that you speak to yourself. Because David uh, uh, throughout the Psalms explores this at various points, but this whole idea of self-talk is not just some, positive new age kind of thing. It's actually throughout scripture that we have to be really careful about the words that we declare over our own lives. And I want you to include this in your stock take because what you'll probably find if you're like me is that there's been some good moments and there's been so some not good moments. And the, the temptation is in the not good moments to almost excuse them to say, well, they deserved it. Um, none of you would be that unholy to think that I'm sure, but we think, well, they deserved it. They really are very frustrating. They deserved it. Or we go with the personality uh, excuse of, well, I'm just a blunt person. People just have to get used to it. That's just who I am. I just say what I think. Well, what James is saying to us, that regardless of that, those people have got an extra challenge if it is part of your personality because all of us are held to the same standard. There is no opt-out. There is no excuse here. It is simply that if your mouth Uh, Your tongue is running wild. You have a problem and you need to address it with the help of God. And so I would encourage you this week to do it, to discover just in case you don't believe what I'm saying, that you've probably fallen short, that there are things there that you need to reconsider. And that leads me into the second challenge, which is the moment of hope for you is I want you to pray a new prayer this week. And I would challenge you that from tomorrow morning that before you even speak a word to someone else, before you say anything over your own life, that if you need to write this down and have it by your bed or stick it to your phone, which is probably the first thing you look at in the morning, I would encourage you to pray a new prayer this week because in Psalm 19, David gives us a prayer that speaks into this. In Psalm 19 verse 14, he says this, may the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's saying, God, let the things that I say and let the things that I dwell on, that I think on, let my heart be pleasing to you. And I would say to you today that if you were trying to fight it on your own, if you um, already acknowledge that you've got a problem with your tongue, with the things that you say, which is probably all of us that this prayer will be incredibly powerful to you because James says that we can't tame it on our own. But the whole message of his book is that the power of the Holy spirit in transforming your heart, when you know God is incredible and it can transform you. And so I would encourage you to pray that prayer, to give it a go, to do it for the next seven days and just to see what God does in your life just to see if God transforms the thoughts of your heart to being not against others, but more towards them. Just just to see if God transforms the words of your mouth to be life giving um, and to be encouraging and to build people up. And so I would encourage you to pray that prayer. You might want to capture that reference or you can go back and look at it later, but pray that prayer That, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And just see the transformation that God brings into your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we we thank you uh, that your word um, exposes um, every part of our being. Lord, we thank you that in your word that uh, there's really confronting stuff. Lord, in this section is one of it because it doesn't just apply to some. It doesn't just apply to the people who walked in a week ago or six months ago, but it applies to everyone, regardless of whether we've been in church for 50 years or for, for, uh, this is our first Sunday, Lord. It applies to each one of us because, Lord, we, um, we all have this tongue that has the ability to praise God but also has the ability to set these horrible fires in our own life and in the lives of others. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would transform us. Lord, that this week that we would come to you with that prayer, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing to you. So that, Lord, when we look back at the end of the day, Father, that we see change, that we see transformation, that we see not perfection or God, but that our words are honouring of you and that they're honouring of others. Lord, this morning, I particularly want to pray for those who are carrying the hurt of the words of others. Lord God, I pray that through your word, Father, through um, the people that you've put around them, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that those words would be replaced with truth. Lord God, that they would come to know that you are a good God that you love them, Father, that you have a purpose for them, that they are unique and that they are called and that they are gifted. Lord God, that you have incredible things in store for them, that you have planned uh, in advance good works for them to sow into the life of others. Lord God, we just pray that you would uh, cover over the the, uh, life-directing hurtful words that they are um, having sit in their spirit, Lord God, and in their place, Father, the things that directs their steps would be your words. We pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, let us be a people who speak encouragement. Let us be a people who speak hope. Father, and let us be a people who honor you with the words that we say. In your name we pray. Amen.